Welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We're thrilled you tuned in with us today. We're glad to, uh, that you take some time with us each week as we try to talk about things that are really, really, really important in America, and we try to do it from a Christian perspective. So thank you again so much for uh, for listening. Uh, we always like to pause because there's great things going on uh, every week and, and the weeks that are coming for uh, all of you, at least that are local or somewhat local. Um, one of those is... Uh, something I'm incredibly excited about. It is our first Marketplace Ministry Conference that yeah. we're hosting in terms of a big conference. Uh, and uh, talk, talk to us about the Avoda Conference. Yeah, the Avoda Conference is uh, focused on ministry or the marketplace being a place of worship and ministry. You know, we're at Kingdom Church. That means when we look at all realms of life, education, healthcare, government. Yeah. We recognize that under, all under the dominion of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that, that's a good a good comma for a pause point for even this podcast to help people understand our ministry, our approach. You know, when you say we're a kingdom church, yeah. Uh, just to clarify, you know, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. He he is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and his rule over the kingdom includes everything. You know, a king wasn't just the ruler over the government. The, the king was the ruler over the whole commonwealth. Yep. And uh, the same thing is true with Jesus. He's king of kings and lord of lords, which is why you cannot put anything uh, in real life in compartments. Um, we can't just say, well, the church shouldn't be talking about education, or the church shouldn't be talking about the family, or the church shouldn't be talking about about politics, because if Jesus is Lord of all, then all of these things are things we should be talking about, and we should be tying it all back to, you know, what Jesus says about it, because that's the basis of our authority. So when we say kingdom church, it should not be surprising then that, for instance, that we're hosting a conference about the marketplace, right. because Jesus is Lord of the marketplace. So people say, like, you're the political church, or you guys engage in these you know, political issues. I'm just like, we're not just a, I mean, yeah. political church. We're, we engage in all realms. We talk about worship and that we have marriage class and parenting class. We yeah. want to engage God's kingdom in our family, in our yeah. homes. Uh, we, we we also engage in government because government is part of God's kingdom. We, we would like to engage more in education and all these other realms, yeah, right? Yeah. And we're, just, we're just beginning. <laughs> right, right. We're, we're, we're not there yet. Good idea, but we're not there yet. But our, our, what we're doing is we're, we're having our first ever Avoda conference. It's really engaging um, the marketplace. Yeah. And, 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 Avoda, that yeah. sounds like some crazy... Uh, you know, Middle Eastern term or something. What is it? It's a Hebrew word. Ah, okay. And I, I shared this on Sunday. Uh, it's a Hebrew word for work, worship, and service. And they use the same word, which articulates basically to the Jews, to Jesus, there is no distinction between work and worship. Right. Uh, work is worship, is service. Yeah. So that's good. So when there's no distinction and, and those terms can be used interchangeably, it gives us an a window into uh, the Hebrew understanding of work, which we've right. lost today. We're, we have a right. Greek understanding of work today. Uh, but to the Hebrew, whatever you did in life, you do it to the glory of God, and right. it's, it's service to other people and to the Lord, and it's worship. It brings good to, to mankind. Yeah. You know, the Greek thought is the, the, the separation of the higher realm of ideas, of pontification about right. Uh, uh, about you know philosophies, and then you bunch of you know slaves go and do <laughs> yeah. work. Blue collar, blue collar guys there, yeah. beyond right. But the Hebrew thought is like, no, God worked. Like his, he worked for six days, you yeah. know, and he gave us work. Work preceded the fall. Yeah. Work was not a result of sin. Yeah. Work before so work's sin. not part of the curse. Uh, no. it, it work is preceded that and yeah. was done again. A noble, glorified, right. honoring service. So anyway, yeah. good stuff. And we got a 
bunch of wonderful uh, folks coming in, not only from our own church family, but from uh, Kingdom at Work. Yep. <laughs> it's going to be great. So yeah, how can people find out more details? Yeah, so if you go to our website, uh, you can see the Avada link. And, um, and we're, lo- we're trying to get some more social media stuff out there for people to understand what it's like. You know, the way I would say is if you are looking for, fi- for meaning, more meaning in your work, or even maybe you're a business owner and yep. you have... Uh, people when your work that uh, especially Christians who see work as just something you just have to do, they're not they don't find right. that as a as a worship unto the Lord. This is a great opportunity. Well, to engage as in you that. pointed out, mo- most people, Christian or non-Christian, get up in the morning dreading to go to work. Yeah, and uh, there's something powerful when you bring the kingdom, when you bring a sense of transcendence, you know, yeah. worship service. Uh, into what you do, and that perspective change can make all the difference in the world. That's what leads to some of the most effective, most efficient, most innovative workforce is when you're truly engaged, you find meaning in your work. Yeah, so So that's awesome. Also, I'm really, really excited. Um, We are teaming up with Turning Point USA Faith uh, and hosting some uh, pre-election events here at Living Stones, uh, one of which is going to be with my good friend Michael Beckwith and a pastor out in, in California, Rob McCoy. Uh, who uh, was a national leader when it came to terms of some of the government overreach that was taking place in, in uh, the state of California. With just the, a little bit. A yeah, little bit. just a little bit uh, <laughs> with the whole COVID thing. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing how a secularized, you know, hostile state can just absolutely try to silence uh, the message of God's people in the church. And, and he is a great, great leader, uh, very articulate communicator. And we're also going to be joined by uh, Christy Stutzman, who has served in the Indiana legislature, uh, a very godly woman and a great uh, you know, Christian uh, stateswoman, and, um, and myself. It's going to be a panel discussion. That's going to be on, uh, oh my goodness, it's the first week in November. I'll get details for our next podcast, but I think it's on the Wednesday night, that first week in November. And then on that Sunday night, I'm really excited. We're going to be having a night of uh, prayer and worship leading up to the election, just simply to remind ourselves that uh, the Lord is in control. He raises up, he sets down, and praying for those who have run. Uh, You know, anybody that throws their hat in the race right now uh, and is willing to go through that grueling process and sometimes a slanderous process uh, deserves our prayers and our appreciation and our honor. So we're going to just spend the night praying and committing things to the Lord before uh, we all go out and vote uh, and the midterms here. So so good times. All right, let me, uh, we just finished up a series uh, that was really, really good called Strange New World, based on that book, Strange New World, by Carl Truman. This is another uh, book that we're going to be kind of uh, using as a, a launch pad for the next few weeks as we, we talk about what's going on in America a great book called Live Not by Lies, a New York Times bestselling book, subtitled A Manual for Christian Dissidents uh, by Rod Dreher. And um, a great, great book. You're just getting into it now, um, chapter by chapter. Uh, yeah, let people see it for those watching our podcast. Uh, but really, the, the basic premise of this book, and we got into it a little bit last week, is that uh, as he started interviewing uh, uh European uh, believers who experienced this kind of totalitarianism under the Soviet uh, Soviets or either the uh, uh, the Nazis, um, he's saying they're they're warning us America is ripe for the same type of uh, uh, of overreach by the government and same type of totalitarianism, and so he's interviewing a lot of these people and pulling out principles that I think are very helpful for us today. 
In fact, even as we begin this, you know, he starts by talking about what a pre-totalitarian culture looks like. And, you know, we look back in history, <clears throat> for instance, I look at, the, at what happened with uh, Hitler and the Jews, and, and you're like, you know, didn't the church see this coming? Yeah. And why weren't they more outspoken? And didn't the average run-of-the-mill German see this coming? And you could say the same thing about Stalin, Stalinism, you know, under the Soviets. Yeah. Didn't they see it coming? And the point is, no. And sometimes we look back, you know, it's tw- hindsight. How could, how could they let that happen? Right? Yeah, yeah. Of course, what's the matter with you guys? <clears throat> um, but understanding things historically, understanding things right. economically, Understanding what was going on in the church, what was not going on. You know, there's there's certain certain things that you look at now, like doing an autopsy, right? And you can go, ah, oh, wow, I can see how that. Per-. In other words, a perfect set of circumstances were created that gave rise to this e- very evil thing. And what he's saying is, as Americans, we should not be sitting here going, oh, that would never happen to us. Um, Because that's just foolishness. It could happen to us. And again, we're not trying to be alarmist here on this podcast. You know, oh, my gosh, it's coming. Um, But we're also not being naive. I think we need to look with our eyes wide open because, as we're going to talk about today, there are a lot of preconditions, you know. Uh, you can go to a dermatologist, right, and say, oh, we need to get rid of that. That's a, that is a precancerous cell. Well, there's a lot of precancerous cells in America today that if we're not careful, we'll, we'll give rise to full-blown, you know, cancer. Right. And we have the luxury of history yeah. to look at what happened because all those people thought that couldn't happen to us either. Yeah. <clears throat> and it did happen. Yes. So what are the similar patterns? What are the similar, like you, like you said, those precancerous cells, great analogy, by the way, um, that will lead to, that could lead to this totalitarianism. Yeah, and the, the death of our republic, you know. Um, <clears throat> and it's interesting, you and I can relate to this. When you're a pastor, we often say to people in counseling that you don't want, uh, you have to get miserable enough to where you want to change. <clears throat> in other words, it, you have to get to where your current reality is so painful that you're just not going to make excuses to stay there, you know. Yeah. And desperation is a good thing when it leads to transformation. <clears throat> The same, though, is true for individuals, is true for, for societies and cultures. Yeah. Uh, people who are revolutionaries, people who want to bring about rapid, <clears throat> radical change, and we have those folks in America, and we have those folks in our Congress, um, they always make this little comment that I find interesting, don't waste a good crisis. Yeah. Sometimes it's even a crisis that they themselves or the government creates to bring about the change, you know, we are called conspiracy theorists, for instance, during COVID-19 for suggesting that there might be a globalist, um, some globalist intentions behind all of this that are not good. In other words, let's bring about a global pandemic so that we can see how willing people are to allow government to increase and yeah. government to overreach and government to trample liberties. And we'll do it all in the name of uh, it's good for you. Um, well, it's the same thing. You know, when people get miserable, usually economically, right, mm-hmm. the poverty and all those types of things, when people get miserable, they start clamoring for anybody that can come along with a better idea than what's currently working. Mm-hmm. And that's when we talked about this, all those utopian ideologies that, that godless people, secular people are always embracing to try to create the perfect world, perfect set of circumstances. That's when those prophets, right, secular prophets, uh, begin to get traction because they have an audience, and the audience is people who are disillusioned and and broke and 
and, and jealous and wanting a different life, wanting that person's life. You know, we start having all this talk about economic disparity. Right. Uh, that's when they start listening to these prophets, secular prophets, utopian prophets. Right. And and we talked about this before, utopianism, the idea of that man-made society, we can create a heaven on earth ourselves using our own, our own technology, uh, using, you know, I don't know, yeah. the, the human spirit, whatever it is, right. it's, it's a pipe dream. People have tried it for years, for, for, for throughout history, it doesn't work. The only person who can truly bring true heaven on earth is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and, you know, <laughs> interestingly enough, the word utopia literally means nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> so, because it is nowhere. Because right. it, it's a dream that you have that you think is somewhere, but in right. reality, it's nowhere. But, but the journey to utopia has cost so many lives yeah. throughout history. Yeah, and, and so and, you, let's go to Stalin, you know, yeah. uh, all of these <clears throat> secular prophets started with a Christian worldview, and Stalin included. That's why, and Stalin and Marx and all these folks, that's why their view of, of utopia is really a, uh, it's a secularized view of our Christian hope. You know, we, we yeah. believe Christ is bringing his kingdom and it's going to come without sickness, sin, disease, all the things that cause misery now. Christ is going to obliterate all of those things and we're going to live forever with him. That, that's what the Bible teaches. But Secularists or, or materialists like Marxists, they reject God, they reject the supernatural, and so everything becomes material. And so the utopia God promises that's coming uh, with Christ, they reject and they create their own uh, it's utopias. A, it's a counterfeit. Yes. And, and that's what, throughout the history, we see counterfeit Savior, counterfeit heaven, counterfeit kingdom, yeah. counterfeit, you know, all these different counterfeits. It's a counterfeit. It's It, it touches on our deep longing for home, yeah. our deep longing to belong, our deep longing to see the world become better, to see the end of poverty and the end of suffering, right? Yes. Yeah. It touches on those deep needs that we have, absolutely. But if, but but the fulfillment is empty. Right. There's, there's the no, substance is empty. Yeah, yeah, once you get to there, the promises are always over-promised, over under-delivered, and that's the challenge. And that's kind of a lot of the basis we have through what happened in like in Germany yeah. and in Russia. And but not. I think what we got to pay attention to is um, the conditions that lead to misery and, yeah. and social, a lack of social cohesiveness. And those things are all around us. I just want to touch on, on several of them here. Um, they were talking about, you know, uh, World War One, the devastating impact it had on, on Russian people. Yeah. Uh, incredibly destabilizing. Uh, and then, uh, so people started looking for hope because all the all the institutions that were meant to provide stability and strength were failing them. So the government was failing. The Orthodox Church was right. out of touch. Um, the average worker was being exploited. We talked about the Industrial Revolution and, and how people moved to the cities and how they were exploited by uh, by bosses sometimes right. there. The, the income disparity was yep. super wide, you know, and the, the working class, well, the the slave class, I mean, the, the, the lower class was in suffering. They were miserable, whereas the upper class have, is doing nothing to help out, you know? Right, so you see this injustice, and then you have people that are pointing out the injustice, and they become the new leaders, and, yeah. and, and they, they foment uh, unrest. And so you have these um, community organizers, as they're called, uh, which are really Marxist agents uh, who go around just preaching this message of discontent and and throwing, getting rid of the the good the bad guys and the bad guys are the capitalists and and promoting justice among the poor and the, the good guys the, right. the workers so that's that's Marx's idea but we're we're having a lot of that class warfare in America today for sure um, 
But one of the things he does, and this is maybe where we'll get started today, because I think this is really, really good. Uh, he brings out the point that the parallels between a declining United States and a pre-revolutionary Russia are not exact, but he says they are unnervingly close. Mm-hmm. And so what we're, what we're wanting to touch on today, and as we throw these out there, um, points from the book, I think the what we need to be doing as Americans is looking around and saying, wow, is that present in America today? And if it is, again, it's a, it's a harbinger, it's a, it's a red flag, it's a warning <clears throat> that we need to start acting and we need to start addressing some of these problems from a Christian perspective. And, and I, I think as we address some of these issues, I mean, to me, when I was reading that, I was like, wow, there is a solution for the kingdom for all these differences. Yes. The, we, yeah. the kingdom of God presents a solution to all these issues So as we get to it. Yeah, so, so this is not doom and gloom. The Antichrist no. is coming. Let's just throw up our hands and quit. This is, let's bring a kingdom solution, Christian answers to yeah. these problems that people are, are <clears throat> struggling with. So um, one of the p- people that he brought up was a woman by the name of Hannah uh, Arant, uh, who after uh, World War II, she was a survivor, a Nazi Holocaust survivor. She wrote a, a classic study called The Origins of Totalitarianism. Uh, this was uh, an attempt to understand how such radical ideologies in Germany and in the Soviet Union had seized the minds of men. And according to her, the following conditions tilled the ground, readying it for a po- for poisonous ideas that were planted by ideological activists. Now, we talked today about progressivism and, and the radical left uh, and a lot of the seeds that are trying to be planted like in our school system and mm-hmm. uh, um, other places of influence, the media. So she's basically saying, how in the world are these ideas progressive radical ideas take root. You know, you got to till the ground. The ground has to be broken. There has to be, in other words, a receptivity to these ideas. And, uh, and what, what happened? And, and she gives six uh, major preconditions that were, that were found in both Germany and in the Soviet Union before uh, the totalitarian governments kind of took over. The first one, and we've talked about this, so we'll just maybe hit these quickly. Yeah. The first one is loneliness and social atomization. Uh, in other words, she's, what she points out is, in society's past, you used to have certain segments of society, like like the elderly, who struggled with loneliness, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but nowadays, loneliness is rampant. It's it's everywhere, um, and it's, it spans every class, even to the youngest. You know, our, we have a, we have depression and loneliness among our mm-hmm. middle school students and high school students, college students. So, this isolation that produces a loneliness, lack of social cohesion. In fact, when you look at most of the of the mass shootings and things that take place, you find a couple of things in common. You find usually a fatherless person mm-hmm. who feels incredibly isolated and lonely, and they're happening more and more and more. Um, and so that was a big one. Uh, anxious, isolated, vulnerable people who lack a sense of community and purpose. It's yeah. everywhere in America today. Lack of purpose, lack of <clears throat> community, lack of real interpersonal connection, yeah. which is, you know, we, there's a couple of reasons for this, if you ask me. I mean, I think social media has propagated tons of this. Right. Our, our reliance on technology, our reliance on um, fake relationships, fake friends. On, right. I, I shouldn't call them fake friends, but but virtual friends. Is right. that better? Right. Virtual, virtual friends virtual online. Yeah. Um, but but there's no true cohesion. There's no true you know, yeah. true relationships built through hardship, through conflicts, right? Heart to heart, face to face. Heart to heart, face to face, no connections. Yeah. And we have so much virtual, and, and obviously the COVID pandemic, pandemic 
certainly did not help that oh, cohesion. Yeah, yeah um, that exacerbated the problem for sure, right. uh, locking people up in, in isolation, basically. Right. Um, but anyway, huge, huge problem, and I think we can all agree, wow, that is a, a serious problem in America today. So that's a precancer cell, as, as we and, would say. And that, which is interesting because that's like a sociological perspective. It's not necessarily a governmental perspective. It right. starts with the sociology. It starts with people's heart. It starts with your emotions. It starts with your mental health, you know. But you got lonely people, disconnected <laughs> yeah. people. They don't feel they belong. They're not seen. They're not loved. All those basic yeah. needs. And then you start looking to government to blame because somebody's got to be the blame for my misery and my yeah. loneliness. Secondly here, she says, uh, losing faith in hierarchies and institutions. Uh, and we just noticed, according to uh, the Gallup poll, Americans' confidence in their institutions, political, media, religious, legal, medical, corporate, are at historic lows across the board. So, I mean, this is where we're at today. People don't trust the institutions that used to provide stability and strength. There's an incredible lack of trust. So, we, and, and this is even, I think, yeah. among Christians. I mean, I, do I trust the media today? Of course, I do not. Do I trust the FBI today? Yeah. Do I trust Justice the IRS? Department? Do I trust the Justice Department? Mm -hmm. Do I trust, I mean, on and on. And yeah. like, part of me is like, that's not my fault. It's not my fault, I don't trust them, right? It's like, it's their fault. But, but fact yeah. remains, exactly. in fact remains, that I used to have a level of respect for the FBI. Right. And in a few short years, Personally, and some of you guys may feel the same way, you're declining faith in our, our, our police, our premier police institution of right. the United States. Justice people. Justice. That's, yeah. that's sad. That's dangerous. Yeah. So, so the, the, yeah. the large encapsulation here is you lose a sense of faith in the institutions. Like the system is broken. We hear that yeah. the system is broken. Um, and we hear that about Congress today uh, and our government yeah. at large, the courts, the, the court system. Well, so when they were, when, when Supreme Court recently came with, with some of these very, um, uh, like people would consider right-leaning decisions, there was an onslaught of attack against the institution of Supreme Court. Right. Um, um, just uh, at the root, just cutting down at the root, like this is, this is the bias court, this court's illegitimate. Right. Um, yep. You know, and, 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 you know, like... On our side, you know, we all feel that with, with our institution. I mean, I would say there's some legitimate complaints about, like like you said, the FBI, the White House, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But overall, this is just dangerous for a nation. It's extremely dangerous. Right, because you, you, you hear people say, well, let's just burn it all down, you know, burn the whole system yeah. down, which, which kind of leads to the next one, uh, the desire to transgress and destroy. So we're not wanting to build anything. If the, we just say the system's broken, burn it all down. Well, what are you going to replace it with? Well, we haven't got that far yet. You know, so you see this rampant looting, right. burning down of businesses, attack of private property. Um, and what was interesting is, as she looked at it, it was all rooted to a total degeneration of our morals that was manifest in sexual deviation and perversion. Mm. Uh, she looks back at some of these... Uh, like in Russia, a preoccupation with sex that was quite without parallel in the earlier Russian culture. She says, especially among the social and intellectual elite, sexual adventurism, celebrations of perversion, and all manner of sensuality was common, even bordering on what she said uh, was the demonic. And so you get into such wicked kind of perverse things where your goal is simply to be compl go completely against whatever social convent conventions are there, whatever the church says is good or right or true, you push all bounds. Uh, nothing is outside of the limits, which really at the root is sat satanic. It's, it's a 
I'm my own boss, radical individualism, right? Mm -hmm. No one's going to tell me what to do. And so we see this push today of all kinds of, of sexual perversion, which the outward... Uh, expression of that leads to violence and just destruction, right. rampant destruction. And, and I, I want to share the nuance point to some of this. I'll be, I'll be honest. When I hear about some of the stuff and the higher institution was doing, some yeah. of the corruption, my instinct is, hey, we just need to burn it all down. We need to just, we need to, uh, uh, we need to just, yeah, revamp the whole Bring thing. Bring in the right? bulldozer Bring, and plow it all down. But, but, <clears throat> but I am not thinking, in those moments, in those emotionally heated moments of injustice, indignation, I'm not thinking, wait a second, what about the functions and systems that they normally achieve and process? Exactly. I'm not thinking the replacement. I'm just thinking, this is so corrupt, it needs, it needs to go. So that is very much our instinct. But we need to have a, we need this, reading this encouraged me to be thinking, okay, it's easy to tear it down, like you said, but what's going to take its place to be better? That's exactly. come up with an alternative solution. That's not just, you know, tear something down. That's come up with the righteous kingdom solution first as a, the replacement solution versus just saying, right. oh, that doesn't work. Well, you've heard it said in the area of morals, before you before you knock a fence down, you might want to ask why somebody erected the fence in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing. Okay, so our Supreme Court might not get it right all the time, right. but but it's the, it's the best that anybody's ever had anywhere in the world. And the, and the alternative is secret courts where people are tried and murdered, uh, yeah. uh, you know, with, right. with no accountability at right. all. No so. accountability for the for the executive branch or the legislative yeah. branch. Tyranny. You know? What yeah. you have is tyranny when you, when you just plow it all down. Right. So I'm just saying I can be guilty of that one, too, especially well, well, yeah. when I get upset about certain institutions. But again, it's like take a, take, a, take a step back and think about what is the proper reformation of that institution versus just tearing it all down. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Number four, propaganda. <clears throat> wow. And the willingness to believe useful lies. She pointed out a, the willingness of people to turn their backs on the truth for the sake of an ideological cause. Now, yeah. this is huge. This means when you point out a logical inconsistency in somebody's thinking, they don't really care. Because if it goes against what their ideological cause is, they'll land on the size, side of their cause versus truth. Yeah. And we see this in the media all the time. There's so much hypocrisy, uh, and that we don't have time to get into to highlighting that. But I think everybody can agree. Uh, for instance, I, I love what they point out here. Monstrous forgeries of historiography, meaning a rewriting of history that's not based on truth at all or fact, but on ideology. The most glaring in our culture today was the New York Times uh, 1619 project, which is the foundation of all this critical race theory. Uh, basically, they said they're trying to rewrite the whole history of the United States of America, uh, revising America's national identity by making race hatred central to the nation's foundational myth. This is a direct attack on the identity of, of all of us as Americans. It's been pointed out by good historians over and over again that this is based on a lie. This is not true at all. And yet it has continued to be put forth even today in our school systems uh, be because it fits a radical leftist it ideology. It fits the narrative. Yeah, so fits the narrative. It's too, too convenient of a, of, of a narrative to not put out there. So there's the lack of uh, loyalty to the truth. Yes. Which, which is called propaganda. Yeah, and then it becomes the Wild Wild West once you throw the truth out. Absolutely. So. Number five, a, ma a mania for ideology. She says here, uh, why are people so willing to believe uh, demonstrable lies? The desperation alienated people have for a story that helps them make sense of their lives and tells them what to do, explains it. So again, when you don't have a, a larger worldview, which is what this podcast is dedicated toward. If you don't have a worldview that helps you get make meaning and sense out of life, mm -hmm. you will grab onto something 
anything, even if it's a lie, you will hold on to it. Because if you let go of it, your whole identity goes. You have nothing that, to live for. And it's that, it's that yearning for meaning that causes people to believe just about anything. That becomes your meaning. Yeah, there's, it, there's, yeah. a, <clears throat> there's a longing for meaning in every single person. <clears throat> Everyone recognizes it. The wise recognize it. The, the propagandists recognize that. So right. if you can give people meaning, attach their identity to this meaning, you can make them do anything. Yeah. It becomes mania. And, and yeah. basically, she says, totalitarian essentially is the politization of everything. We talked about that. So for the church to say, well, we're not going to be political. In today's culture, that means you can't talk about anything that matters because everything in a totalitarian or pre-totalitarian culture is political because yeah. the government is involved in everything. That's yeah. why everything is political. And let's end with this last one. <clears throat> Number six, a society that values loyalty more than expertise. Um, in other words... We're going to uh, value loyalty to the group or to the tribe that's at the at the very core of leftist identity politics. So you you're not you stay as your tribe. You 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 only say what your tribe says. You don't allow anything to come in that would suggest that the tribe isn't right. You're loyal to the tribe, um, just like they were loyal to the Nazis or they were loyal to the Marxists. Um, you know, we have this leftist bunch today, whether it's loyalty to the green movement or loyalty to LGBTQ uh, identities and understanding of sexuality, whatever it is, that's your tribe and that's what right. you're loyal to. Um, and that's the foundation of cancel culture. It's the foundation of the identity politics we have today. It's the foundation of these ideological tests that are in universities where you have to agree to, to believe a certain ideology or you don't get promoted or you don't even get hired. Right. I mean, it's everywhere in America today, especially corporate America and especially in uh, higher education, uh, this whole idea of a progressive diversity and inclusion creed, right. which if you don't believe the creed, you don't get to play, you don't get to be part it of the It becomes team. religion. Yeah. It becomes religion, <coughs> religious zealotry. To, to define who's including this group. Yeah. You know, so. And maybe we can get into this more next week, but I thought these were these were <coughs> very, very powerful identifiers that, that when I'm looking at America today, it's like, yep, 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 yep. I mean, we have all six of those things happening yeah. in our culture. And again, this was a study done by a woman who not only lived through the Holocaust, but studied in depth World War One, World War Two, some of these um, major t emergence of totalitarian regimes. Uh, and I find it interesting now, you know, here our president was talking about uh, Armageddon and, and a possible uh, nuclear mm -hmm. right attack. And the left was viewing all of this in terms of economic development and opportunities. Again, the more chaos you have, the more you can reframe the world. And globalists love all this because we look for global solutions. And, and so all these conspiracy theories that everybody says people have, it's amazing that uh, how many of them are actually yeah. Uh, becoming true. Uh, or certainly you see the signs of, uh, of all these things that are happening. You cannot ignore it. It's a, we are very ripe today. I believe, though, as we pointed out, we're not, we're not doom and gloom uh, prophesiers here. We're ripe. For, as much as we're ripe for tyranny, we're also ripe for a great revival. If you go through all of these, you realize, man, there is a Christ, there's a kingdom solution to all of these. Yes. Talk about loneliness. Talk about meaning. Talk about purpose. Yeah. Talk about allegiance to the truth. You know, Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. And and when you take Christ out, what are you left in, in truth? You yep. know? So. so the crisis creates a vacuum, and the vacuum is going to be filled by somebody. It's either going to be filled by government or it's yeah. going to be filled by Christ and by a message of the kingdom, as you said, that brings 
hope and life to yeah. people. Amen. So this is a great opportunity for the church, and I, I want to make sure we stay, we're staying positive. We're, we're ministering with our eyes wide open, but we are always prisoners of hope. Amen. So um, again, thank you for listening today. Hope this is helpful, and please help us by spreading the word uh, while we can, uh, spreading the word uh, far and wide and uh, uh, before we're canceled. Anyway, if we're canceled, <laughs> if we're canceled, that is proof that everything we've been saying is absolutely happening, uh, and we'll find other ways to get the message out. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for watching. Until next week, we'll see you. Have a good week.